You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Welcome to church today. It is great to have you here with us. Isn't it good to be in the house of God? As inconvenient as it was to get up in the fog. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's good stuff. As inconvenient as it might be to drive in the fog or get up in the morning or do that, you get here, you get into the house uh, of the Lord where you can interact with the living God, and it is a good thing uh, to be at church. How many of you have had uh, an unexpected experience this year? Maybe just life was unexpected, and one thing we can be sure of with life is expect the unexpected because life is unpredictable. This year we were asking our kids, well, kids, you know, what should we do for Christmas? And we started making a list of different experiences or things that they wanted to do or accomplish or, or memorize. And, you know, it's kind of like drawing a little picture here. It's almost like saying, all right, what do you want Christmas to look like? And we can fill it in with the, like the people and the experiences and the different things that you want to let you know what, you know, Christmas is going to look like this year. You want to get uh, the perfect Christmas. You want to get it in a nice little tidy package and have everything go your way and everything be uh, just smooth. And then that would give you a great uh, Christmas experience, right? How many of you know that life is unpredictable? Okay. Well, uh, it was interesting about three years ago, uh, we were coming up into the Christmas time. Um, we had just gotten back from Colorado. We had spent some time out there in October. My wife, uh, when she and her sister were younger, were taken in by her aunt and uncle. And they worked on a sheep ranch. They owned and worked a sheep ranch in southeastern Colorado. And so my wife in her junior high years and senior high years lived on the farm. She grew up in the city in Denver and other areas. But then she moved out to rural Colorado and lived on a farm during junior and senior high years. And it was during those years that her aunt introduced her to Jesus. And so she grew up largely experiencing her uncle as a dad and her aunt as uh, kind of her mom during those years and really enjoyed, you know, that time. There was, of course, not all the farm work and not all the dynamic of, uh, you know, being adopted into a family. You oftentimes feel like a border in somebody else's experience, uh, but it was the best living situation for her. At the time, well, we would go back now that we have our own kids, we would go back to the farm and we would love it. You have this farm experience, you go out and the kids get to ride on the tractors and do all the farm stuff, and it's just a great experience. And so we had gone out in October of 2011, and we just had this wonderful experience out on the farm, great experiences out there, and just a good time to to talk and chat. And I remember sitting on the porch and I'm talking with Heather's uncle Joe and uncle Joe isn't a believer, but he's a man of integrity and he has served on the water board and he's done great things throughout his lifetime. And he basically just, I'm just trying to get an idea, like <clears throat> where's your head at when it comes to God and, and what are your, is your belief system? And, and you have all this great general revelation of creation you work in every single day. And how does, how's God revealing himself to you in that? And just talking with him and just sharing just the gospel with him, just in a gentle way. Just once again, as we're sitting on the porch, looking over the farm, it was just beautiful. And it was probably one of the best visits we've ever had, just relationally, just one of the greatest visits we've ever had. Well, then we were heading into the Christmas season here at, back in Elk Grove and at Sun Grove Church. And uh, while we're at the uh, community group on a, you know, I think it was a Thursday night, 
we're experiencing community group, and I've just, it had just been a crazy schedule. I just felt, uh, man, I just need to ask the men in my community group to pray for me. And I don't often do that because, you know, you have that, like, I'd rather pray for somebody than receive prayer because sometimes when you and I receive prayer, it just makes us admit that we're not self-sufficient. And uh, I'm one who would struggle with self-sufficiency. And, but I just felt like, no, I need to lay that aside. I need to ask these men to pray for me. And so I just said, hey, guys, we, we just pray for me as we're at the end of the night. And they just prayed for me. And I thought it's just been a busy season and stuff. But I had no idea that I thought they were praying for me just because it had been busy or somewhat stressful. But they really the spirit of God was having them pray for me because I didn't know what was about to happen. About 30 minutes after they prayed for us, and as the group is just socializing, I get a call on my cell phone. I step out into the garage to take the call, and it's Heather's cousin, Jonathan, who uh, was a little baby when Heather and her sister basically helped raise him. He's now a reporter in Colorado Springs area. But he just said, Dave, I got horrible news. I said, well, really, what kind of news? He goes, the worst. He said, my dad, Joe, while my mom was out, went down to the basement and shot himself and killed himself, shot himself in the heart. And uh, he had been going through some, Joe had been going through some depression. We didn't totally know all about it, but really rough experiences. And depression is one of those things that says, it, I literally believe it is the best thing for everybody else and for myself if I weren't here. It's deceptive, it's wrong, it's not true but it is this slow progression of belief and he was on some medication that increases the risk of suicide. And, and in his situation, while his wife went out for the night, he went down in the cellar and took his life. So they asked me to do the service. So this is literally the week before Christmas. So we get on a plane again, we fly out to Colorado, we go through two different storms, 34 inches of new snow. We get out there, we're just trying to love on family and be there for him while experiencing our own grief at the loss of Joe, totally unexpected. Aside from some of the things he was experiencing, there was no health indication that anything was wrong. And so we did this service, and at that service, expressing the loss, over 12 people accepted Christ, including a principal in there. Yeah, give it up for that, that's good stuff including a principal to school who decided to finally needed to say yes to Jesus. Like, like it was the loss that brought about the reality, that the, the, the moment for us to think about the big picture of life, like what on earth am I on this earth for? What really matters in life? Where am I going? Where are things headed? This life is all about loss. But God is the God who can bring life out of loss, and he did it, which was great, but we still experience that loss and every year. We certainly still miss him. And if you're in the midst of experiencing loss, then you can relate. If we think about it in the big picture, our head knows that life is about loss. And life is relentless, but God is good. And he teaches us about that in this life because he's preparing us for the life that will never perish or spoil or fade. There's no more sorrow. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's no more death. The old order of things is gone. The new has come. When everything we hope and dream for is beyond what we could picture. 
But until then, we endure this life and we say, well, then how do we live within this life when life is unpredictable, when life is unexpected, when the unseen happens? How do we, how do we respond to it? How do we react to it particularly on a dark and starry night like Mary and Joseph on the night that Jesus was born? It's so interesting as we look back at the account of the Christmas season that all the true People who live, the true account of the Christ child being born, the true experience, not some fairy tale, but a true historical account of the birth of the Christ child. All the people were just normal people, were just lowly people. They would see themselves as we're part of, you know, we're Jewish, we're part of being the people of God, but none of them would have said, and I'm going to play a dramatic role in the story of God. They would say that's for like the religious leaders and for people of high life position and people who are maybe professionals, but not us. They, in fact, frankly, they would believe, I'm not sure that I really even am ever going to play a part of God's story. Not really. They would say, I'm just a normal person. And when a normal person doesn't have their expectations met, it can lead to just a sour or a critical spirit. I have a friend who almost every time you talk to her will talk about what she was frustrated with in her wedding instead of the beauty and the good of that day. She can't get beyond it. Why? Because the expectations were so high in this day and age that the thing that stands out is what was missed, right? The things that were surprises, the things that were unpredictable. Well, all these individuals see themselves as just normal people, not going to play a role in God's big story, in God's big picture, and yet God breaks through that false belief. And I want to challenge you today. Some of you are sitting in this room, you're saying, I don't have any part in that story. I don't have any way to play into God's big role or big plan. That's for professionals. That's for people of high position. That's for the super hyper spiritual person. That's for others. It couldn't possibly be for me. I might be young. I might be old. I might be insignificant in culture or society. And God would say, it's people just like you that play a significant part of his stories. It's always been people just like that. God breaks through that false belief, and he exalts those who respond to his invitation to participate with this story. And so if you have your Bible, open with me to Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Mary and Joseph are engaged. And the unexpected happens. They're engaged, but not yet married. But in that culture, it's as if when they were betrothed, it's as if they had to act completely married, except for consummating the marriage. But in terms of rights, in terms of 
ownership, in terms of position, in terms of identity. Their marriage was something that was secure, and they began to think and dream, what could this be like for us to be married? They began to picture what their life in Nazareth would look like, and they would stagger themselves in their mind of what maybe someday we'll have children, maybe someday they'll grow up in this area, and what a beautiful thing that will be. And yet God comes and brings an interruption into the picture of their life. I want to let you know that God's plans are often interruptions, and they can be inconvenient. God's plans are often interruptions, and they can be inconvenient. When Uncle Joe took his life, it was an interruption. It was inconvenient. We literally flew back here to Elk Grove on Christmas Eve in time for Christmas Eve services. That's how tight the schedule was. And the airlines don't help you out for emergency rates at that time of year, right? God's plans are often interruptions. It's not what we pictured. We pictured him being there for a long time. We, what's going to happen to the farm and what's going to happen in all these areas? And we didn't know. We, didn't, we don't know all the answers, but we have all the questions. Well, what we call interruptions, God calls invitations, you think your life is getting interrupted, but God's saying, will you, will you respond? Will you come? Will you adjust your picture to mine? What we call interruptions, God says, when he calls time out, he calls them an invitation to come to himself. It's interesting to me that both the, Mo the mother of Moses in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament, had they gone to modern-day doctors, likely would have been recommended that each of those ladies maybe abort the child. I mean, in Moses' day, all the baby boys under the age of two were going to be killed by Pharaoh. So why, why go through the inconvenience of carrying that baby full term? Why go through that? Why put yourself through that? In Mary's day, it would have been, oh, you're engaged, and it seems like, it, oh, it's out of wedlock, and I don't know, it just isn't really the picture you had for your life. It just seemed like you, why, why go through it? Just get rid of what's the inconvenience Mary, being engaged, unwed, she changed in that moment when the angel came and spoke to her and said, you're going to be with child. I mean, she's already engaged, and he's saying, you're going to be with child. Let me tell you that for Mary, the hopes and dreams of all the years were now changed, now met in her womb tonight. The story changed. The picture just got a whole lot different. It's interesting to me that each baby, the baby Moses in the Old Testament and the baby Jesus in the New Testament would have an attempt on their lives to be snuffed out by anti-Semitic leaders who are fearful of their rightful role as king or as ruler or pharaoh. And each of those people would return years later to bring freedom to their people. God interrupted Moses after he fled from Egypt and he's out and he worked as a shepherd out on the sheep ranch for 40 years. He's now an old guy and there's this burning bush that happens and the bush is not consumed. And God interrupted him and said, I want you to go back to Egypt and I want you to free my people. Jonah had his plans to run away from God interrupted 
when he was thrown overboard and swallowed by a fish and delivered back to the people of Nineveh to preach to them what God told them to go preach to them in the first place. Saul was out to persecute the church, and as he's on the road to Damascus, a bright light comes out from heaven, and he is blinded, and a voice speaks to him from heaven, and it's Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul has his identity changed. He turns his name to Paul, and he becomes the ambassador to preach the good news of freedom and forgiveness to the Gentile people. God takes what you and I think are interruptions, and he makes them invitations. Will you come? Will you handle it? Will you obey? Mary gave birth to Jesus, who would save the lost and offer people eternal life in heaven and freedom from their sin. Well, maybe for you, you've had something that felt like an interruption. Maybe somebody invited you here today, and you're here, and you're like, it was a little bit of interruption getting up and getting ready and getting here to church and all, but it's an opportunity where you respond to the invitation. Maybe that you have a friend in the hospital, and it is inconvenient to go visit somebody in the hospital. But there's opportunity in that. There's an invitation in that. Maybe it's meeting a need here at church, and it is an opportunity for you to step up and use some of your time, your treasure, your talents to meet a need, to volunteer, to help out, to serve. It's an invitation, not just an inconvenience or an interruption into your life. It's an opportunity. And I think sometimes when life changes and gets a little crazy, we begin to tell God, well, God, tell you what, just give me all the details. God, here it is. Okay, okay. I know you're God, so you take the picture and you tell me what the picture looks like. And then I will just insert myself into the picture and I'll make it whatever you want it to be because you just, just give me all the details. And I think we just say, God, give me the details. And I think God a lot of times is like, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> he doesn't give us all the details. I think because he knows that if you and I had all the details, we might not step into it. We might not respond to the invitation in the first place. Why would we ever choose to love deeply if we knew we could lose? But better to have risked loving and lose than never loving at all. Not scripture, but pretty good advice. We can't handle the details. And what I embrace so often is that we don't have to understand everything. We don't have to understand completely all the details in order to take the first step. Uh, like if you've ever taught your kids how to drive and you're going along in the car, they don't have to understand everything about the engine and about the road conditions and the traffic. They need to know some knowledge. But when you're teaching them to drive and you say stop, they don't need to know all the information and get all the details. They just need to stop because you know more than they know. And in that moment, there's a safety issue, right? They don't need all the information in order to take the first step of obedience, to respond to the invitation to stop, to stop the car. You don't need all the information. So you don't have to see the whole picture in order to put the first piece of the puzzle down. And the first piece of the puzzle is called obedience. It's called responding to the invitation. It's God saying life is inconvenient and it's not working out how you anticipated or hoped and certainly not this year and certainly not at this season. 
But you don't have to know how it all ends and how it all turns out to put the first piece of the puzzle down to respond to the invitation and obey. Because whose responsibility is the outcome? Well, that's God's. In your situation, in your trial, in your trouble right now, the outcome of that situation is God's. We can't control it. We can't manipulate it. We can't outbelieve it. We can't outthink it. It's God's ultimate control. But what we can do is we can do our part. We can take that first step and submit ourselves to what he is going to do and walk with him through it. That we have Christ that he says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. I will walk through this picture with you that looks a whole lot different than you thought. And I will guide you, and I will hold you, and I will give you all that you need, not all that you want, but I'll walk you through it. He can be trusted. The outcome is God's responsibility. Obedience is our responsibility. The outcome is his, but our responsibility, our first step is obedience. And I got to tell you that extraordinary acts of God often start with the first step of ordinary, regular obedience. Mary saying, let it be done to me as you said. She said, okay. Joseph, being told by an angel, didn't give him all the details, just said, hey, take Mary as your wife. God's doing something great there. He said, okay. Ordinary, regular, normal obedience. We put that piece in the puzzle and God begins to fill it in. Some of us want to play games with God. See, we're not consumers with God. When we think that we're consumers with God, we're like, okay, well, God, if, if I obey and take this first step with you, then you need to give me some extra credit because this was really inconvenient. This was horribly inconvenient. So I expect maybe a little bit of a refund, maybe even a full refund, and you throw in a side item. Because this was just, you know, this year, what happened in my life or what's going on right now is really not what I pictured. And, and we don't play games with God like that. He is the king. He's building his kingdom. And we begin to have the opportunity to say, will I participate? Will I become like a servant? Well, I say he must increase and I must decrease. We learn servanthood. We learn obedience. God is a God of reward, but oftentimes his reward is that kingdom that he's building, not this kingdom that we're trying to control and manipulate and build and hang on to. Our treasure now is Christ. We get to serve in his kingdom. We get to love him. We get to do life together with him, and he won't leave us or forsake us. He will walk us through the valley of the shadow of death. He will walk us through the highs and lows. He will walk us through the disappointment of lost expectations. We get to serve his kingdom in a new place and in a new way and in a new season of your life. But the question is, will you take that first step of ordinary obedience? Well, not only are God's plans interruptions that are inconvenient, but God's purposes are often different than you have planned. God's purposes are often different than what you and I have planned. You might become pregnant 
And you might say, Lord, please give us a healthy baby or give me a healthy baby. And then you have a healthy baby, but that healthy baby just happens to have special needs. And you might say, God, this, this is not what I pictured going into it. But God says, if you'll just take that first step of obedience to parent this child, you will understand the depth of love and care. And I will teach you about yourself and I will teach you about the world and I will teach you about myself through this child in ways that nothing else could ever enrich your life. And you learn to die to self, and you learn to give to a cause greater than yourself. You might lose your job and say, really, God, like right now? Like at Christmas time, like, like lose your job, and God, how are we going to make the ends meet? And what's going to happen here? And God would just say, are you willing to take that first step of obedience and trust me? Are you willing to look at and allow me to rearrange this picture of what you thought this year was going to be like. Are you willing to let me increase your faith as you're forced and as you, you know, are having to struggle in trusting me in ways that maybe you never have had to before? Maybe you know somebody and they're staggering around with a self-inflicted wound. And it may not be a physical wound, but they are staggering around with the hurt and the, and the pain. Maybe they're in a season of formation and they are staggering and they are hurting and hurting people hurt people. So sometimes they lash out at you and you're just like, God, I just hate seeing my friend or this other person in a season where it just, the picture has changed and they're in pain and it's so difficult for me. And God is saying, will you trust me? Will you take the invitation to love them like I would love them without determining all the outcome. Maybe you're somebody who's staggering under a loss. And for some of us, the losses we experience are not immediate. They're not a phone call that someone has passed away, but it's an ongoing illness. And you know there's a loss somewhere at the end, but it just seems to take forever. And there's ongoing suffering. There's an ongoing situation in your life that you're just saying, God, really? I mean, does this another Christmas and we're still dealing with this? And you feel like it's a wound that you're having to carry around with you, but it has not yet become a final loss. And God's saying, will you still walk? with me? Will you still put that ordinary step of obedience in as I walk you through this? I can just imagine that Mary and Joseph, he was a carpenter, so I can just imagine that they were getting the baby room together, you know, ready there in uh, Nazareth. He's a carpenter, probably made a little changing table, probably had a little crib going on, just, you know, some nice little features that nobody really had thought of yet, and he's, you know, working with that thing, getting all perfect, looking better than everybody else's because it was his own, you know, hands, his own skill, and he was just doing that. I can just imagine that they had a great picture of what it would look like for, uh, you know, as, as Mary's pregnant to look around in Nazareth and see who else is pregnant and think, well, our kids, our kids just might grow up together. I mean, wouldn't it be cool if we could have like a play date when our kids arrive, you know? And they're just thinking along all these different lines of what they picture life to be like. And then the government calls the census, and they're uprooted, and Joseph has to take his carpentry business mobile and go down to Bethlehem. 
at the worst time and the most inconvenient time where she is pregnant, about to have a child. They have to travel from Nazareth up to the King's Highway, across the King's Highway, which is kind of a upper mountainous kind of California mountain type region, and then into Jerusalem. And from down from Jerusalem into the hill country of Bethlehem. And terribly inconvenient this time. In fact, they just show up and we would think there's no room for them at the inn, but the reality is there just wasn't room for them in the house in which they would stay. So they would go to the area of the house. People had their animals living with them at the time. And they would go to the area of the house where that's where the animals would be kept. And you can just bunk down there and put the baby in the manger. And it was terribly inconvenient for them. We like to think that they went down there, had the baby, then they just jetted back up to Nazareth and, and grew up, right? But that's not the way it happened. They stayed down in Bethlehem. When the Magi show up, the wise men show up, by the way, when they show up and they make their way to the manger scene, I just need to let you know that your nativity is wrong. Because Mary and Joseph stayed with the baby Jesus there, but then they got permanent housing in Bethlehem and stayed. Herod wanted to kill the babies two years old and under. In fact, the scriptures are very clear in the difference that when the wise men showed up, it was not a baby they showed up to, but a child. So they show up to a toddler to worship the king. The wise men weren't there with the shepherds, but they show up. So here it is. They have not gone back to Nazareth. Then Herod, here's the Magi, wants to kill the Christ child. So Joseph is warmed in a dream in the night. They grab the baby. They flee to Egypt. So now they are foreigners in a foreign country, and they're fleeing the life of a person who wants to kill their baby. And they flee with the child. And we don't know at what point in time they return except that they only returned to Israel once Herod had died. So Herod dies. They return back. They don't go back to Bethlehem. What we do know is that at age 12, they were now living back in Nazareth. And they traveled from Nazareth down to the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And it's at that time that Jesus recognizes that this is my father's house. The scriptures don't detail like how Jesus' self-awareness developed. But by the age 12, he recognized in the temple that, that there is something greater going on here, and I'm a part of this is my father's house. It's not that house I live at in Nazareth. This is my father's house. In fact, in his 30s, Jesus described his generation as faithless and perverse. He had no true peers even his closest associates and a lot of his family had hearts and feet of clay and abandoned him as he began to suffer. Jesus can empathize with the lonely, with the abandoned, and the suffering. More than that, he can and does offer true hope in the midst of alienation and pain. Jesus can relate to you and me when the picture's hard, when the life is lonely when the adjustment of everything takes longer than it takes. And you might say, God, I just don't understand. I just don't understand right now. And if only it could have been pictured this way and could have just stayed like, I just don't understand. And God says, I don't need you to understand it all. I just need you to take that first step 
of obedience, and I'll walk you through it. I'm such a good shepherd. A caring shepherd. Some of you are saying, how will my marriage make it? Some of you are saying, how am I going to heal from these wounds? Some of you are saying, how will we pay the bills? And others of you are saying, how are we going to survive this storm? I just, I just don't know how the picture is going to end up. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I need to let you know that on a dark and starry night, there was a young couple who took a first step of obedience wherever it would lead them. And they had a God who walked with them, who dwelled among them, the God of the heaven who had become flesh so that he could save his creation. And Mary, who grabbed her child and ran for Egypt and saved him from the anti-Semitic curse that was upon him and the death sentence, later had to relinquish him at his age 33 to a death sentence of the Romans. And she was there. She watched him suffer for the sin of the world. And she who saved him once could not save him again. And then she watched as life was unpredictable. And Jesus rose from the dead, conquering sin and death, to new life, proving that he was all along the Messiah, that he is God. And he ascended up into heaven. And she continued to treasure and ponder these great, unpredictable mysteries in her heart, who could have pictured that? Only God. But who could participate with that? All of us. Every one of us. Why? Because we think we're ordinary people. We believe, frankly, that we don't play a big picture in God's big picture plan, a big part. We think we're just part of the body of Christ and things will kind of work out. And maybe along the way, God will work our, our picture out. And God says, no, 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 no. All these interruptions that are happening are invitations to come and play the part. Because he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. His kingdom will reign forever. He will never perish or spoil or fade. We have the Holy Spirit as a deposit right now in this life. We will guarantee that there is an inheritance for you and I in heaven forever. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more misunderstanding people, no more sinning against people, no more dealing with your own sin, no more temptation for anything. What a beautiful place that will be. And Jesus loved you and I enough to say, your sin would condemn you to hell, but I love you enough to die for you and take that sin upon myself and offer you new life through what I've done on the cross, if you will believe. And if you've believed, then participate with my kingdom because I'm the king of kings. His name is Jesus. And maybe you've never given your life to him. Maybe you've never said yes to his invitation. Believers in the room, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes so we're not distracting anybody around us, but everybody that's in the room. Believers in the room, I want you just to take a minute and just say, wherever God's Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart today, and he's saying, will you just take that first step of obedience? Maybe for you, you've got to relinquish. Maybe for you, you started to accuse God for not making the picture of your life turn out how you wanted to, and you're unable to enjoy life right now because the picture just didn't look like how you wanted. And maybe you just need to let God be God, and you just need to tell him, 
and say, my stepping forward is I'm going to follow your picture, God, and that inconveniences and interruptions are invitations. Maybe in this room, you have never said yes to Jesus Christ. You haven't had your sins forgiven. You have not given your life to Christ and understood that his death on the cross and his rising from the dead can wash your sin away. But today is the day. Today is the day you're saying, I'm ready just to say yes, to give myself up and give myself to Jesus. And if that's you today, then simply pray a prayer right where you're seated after me like this. Jesus, today I say yes to you. I ask you to come into my life. Cleanse me. Make me a new creation. I ask you to be my king and the Lord of my life. I believe that you died on the cross. I believe that you rose from the dead. And then I believe through your work on the cross, I can be saved. So Jesus, today, I say yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer around the room, would you just raise up your hand? Just hold up high so I can see that anywhere around the room. We've got some people awesome right over there in the back. Just some people like to give you some information. So if you got your hand up, just hold it up high enough that they can find you. They'll make their way to you. But awesome, greatest decision you could ever make. So important. And if you're in this room and you're considering that decision, it's one you can make when you leave this place. It's one you can make as you drive home. It's one you can make as you're silent on your bed at night. But you can say yes to Jesus. Sun Grove Church, will you give it up for what God is doing among us? That's great stuff. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.